This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Our Heavenly Father, without you we are nothing. There's no leadership without you. Every gift that we have comes from you. Every talent, every ability, it's all yours and it's to be used to bless your holy name. We love your church. We think about those little tiny churches, 25, 30, 40 members. We think about churches of 100. Some churches large, four, five, six hundred members. And we come from all different places, but all of those are your church. And you want a lot more in the world. But those churches need leadership. And I pray that we leave here today, that through the human vessels that we are, earthen vessels, that each person will hear Jesus speaking something to their heart, their mind, that can transfer into action. In Jesus' name, amen. What I'm going to do is I want to introduce uh, my team, and each one of them is going to take a little part here. I'm going to give you a little overview. Um, as I mentioned up front today, nothing happens unless it happens in the local church. It's wonderful to come to a convention like this. I mean, th this is inspiration, it's power, it's, uh, it's uh, training, and that's good. But we need those local churches to move. Uh, Elder Wilson, I was so proud of him last year, if that's the right word, so pleased when he, in his sermon to uh, GYC convention last year, he urged all of us to go home and get involved in our local churches. How many of you remember that if you were here? And I just, got, coming from a, the General Conference president, I thought this, this leader knows where the job gets done. And I really, really appreciated that. Uh, you may be active and doing a great work for God, and nobody will ever know about it to get to the kingdom of heaven. But I'll tell you that the newspapers and the uh, news on the media in heaven is different from this world. And someday you'll find out how important it was what you do in that local church. If we want to change the face of the earth, we have to change the local church. We have to do it. And that takes leadership to do it. Well... The first one that's going to talk is Justin Kim. Justin, Pastor Justin Kim, he's ordained minister. All three of these men are ordained ministers. Uh, he's just finished pastoring a uh, cosmopolitan church, a metropolitan church in the suburbs of Detroit, a very fine church, with the challenges that always go with that. He's going to share it first. And then Israel Ramos is right here. Israel... Uh, by the way, Justin Kim is the new director for campus, and we're thrilled to have him, and just picking it up and doing a great job. Israel is the new associate for campus, just finished, just moved from the Upper Peninsula. How many of you know about the Upper Peninsula of Michigan? Oh, good, okay. Um, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, you don't, we don't have many churches hardly at all in the center because it's all wilderness. They're all around the lakes up there and the border of Wisconsin. But he pastored three, and then we gave him another. We just didn't think he had enough to do, so we gave him another one. And he pastored four, but God blessed him. I wish you could have heard the report at Praise and Report that he shared. 
And uh, just, uh, it's just marvelous what God is doing. It's marvelous what we saw Justin Kim do with his church, saw that thing turn around. We saw, well, I won't get into it, but just lots of powerful indicators. Pastor Ken Mitchiff pastored in Michigan. We had the privilege of ordaining him, all three of these men, and uh, just a powerful, you can shut your ears, I'm trying to embarrass you right now, all these guys are, powerful pastor, tremendous results, another field called him into youth work, and we finally got him back, and he's our youth director, but he loves pastoring, and he loves kids and young people. So each one of them is going to give us kind of an overview of some of their passion, and then uh, we're, we'll open it up at some point for some question and answer. I've got some slides this afternoon on leadership, but we really are focusing on the leadership. I did bring a church manual along, by the way. And uh, now I'm going to ask a really interesting question. Maybe I should ask it later. I'll ask it later. Let's get started. Justin, come and uh, share about this concept of leadership, how they can become leaders in your church that you kind of pastor. You didn't kind of pastor, you did pastor. Hey, good afternoon, everyone. Um, Hi, happy, happy Sabbath. Happy Sabbath. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Um, I pastor a, a uh, the Detroit Oakwood. I pastored the Detroit Oakwood Seventh Avenue Church, about a 300 to 400 member church, um, suburbs of Detroit. Um, I think as a pastor, as a young pastor, I had uh, really no idea what I was doing, right? And I think that's the the first key of of, of leadership. I don't think any leader really knows what they're doing. Now that we're all confident in, in uh, I think uh, not knowing what to do um, gives you a reality check and a certain level of humility, and you cling to to Lord Jesus. And this is going to sound really, really weird and, and, and whatnot, but there have been many, 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 many t- times where going into a situation, uh, I had no idea what to do. No idea, whether it's a, a, a weird financial complicated scenario problem or a weird you know, uh, 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 an extracurricular, social, sexual, weird scenario, or just a weird, complicated, you know, weird something. What, what, you, just, you just go in, you don't know what's going on, theological or, you know, blah, 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 blah. and you go in confused, and you feel overwhelmed, and uh, it forces you to pray. And then after getting off your knees, exactly, at least for me, I don't know, I don't know if you guys confirm, you know exactly what to do. It's just all of a sudden it was a cloudy day, and uh, the, the, the clouds just move away. And, and if you do that with prayer, and it's like in Nehemiah chapter 2, you know, the king asks you, you know, what, what do you need? And, and you just sent out this emergency prayer to the Lord, and, then you, get, and you follow that to a degree, and, and, and God really blesses you. That, that has been uh, at least my experiences uh, on the local church level. And, and, and you learn from these experiences. I think for leadership uh, in, 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 a, in a perfect society, Older people, older leaders should find younger people and mentor them and bring them underneath their wings. It's finding people that you see potential in. And, and, and what happens is you have the old, old, older people uh, mentor the, 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 the normal middle people. And then the, the, the middle people mentor the, the older young adults. And the older young adults mentor the, the younger young adults. And then they mentor the young people. And the young people mentor the super young people. And the super young people mentor the, the munchkins on the bottom. So you have, you have a, a cascade effect that goes down. Now, but what happens is, because of generation shifts or whatever sociological issues or whatnot, that doesn't occur. 
How many of you come from a background where you have not been mentored or you feel like you, you've, 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 you've missed out on that opportunity? I felt like I was one of those young people that I, 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 I was left out of the opportunity. And what happens is if you're not mentored as a young person into the church, eventually you'll have really nothing to do and you feel no responsibility responsibility to the church, the issues that come up, you won't care, and eventually there is no relevance to the church. Have you guys heard the word relevance has been a catchphrase for a lot of youth ministry, ministry, leadership circles? Um, I don't believe in relevance. I think church, church, you don't have to make church relevant. Church already is relevant. Jesus is, it's, it's already part of, amen? Okay. Uh, if you had an issue, then, then don't talk to me. Um, <laughs> And so uh, finding, at least in a, in a large church uh, uh, environment such as mine, uh, I found that the best leaders are the ones who, already have, uh, who are already discipling people underneath them. And how this works is discipling is not, not you know, you have to wear a toga and have little people follow you wherever you go. It ha- occurs on the, the, uh, the deaconess level where the head deaconess, who's like an 80-year-old grandmother, is, deacon, is, is mentoring you know, 16-year-old teenage girls. It happens on the, on the deacon level, where the, the, the handyman guy, you get, every church has the handyman guy, right? Something's broken, and he's mentoring the young dudes on how to fix a car and how to do an oil change and how to fix the, the, the lawnmower. It happens where the, the mom who is super stressed because she's got 9 million kids and she's in charge of cradle roll, she's mentoring all the other moms who have 5 million kids and they're also stressed out. What you have is you, you find a, a group of people and you're mentoring them. Mentoring people... It means getting them to be aware of the issues and getting them to care about the issues and solving the issues together. What that means on a, on a, on a more practical level is we need to have a critical eye. What kind of eye? A critical eye. Now, this is a huge problem. A lot of people are smart enough to have a critical eye, but they just stop with having a critical eye. And what happens if you have a critical eye, the critical eye sets and then your heart becomes bitter and you only see the criticism in the church. Amen? I don't know about you. Uh, maybe you're not this way. Maybe you're a loving, you know, careberry kind of Christian. I, I, I struggle sometimes and I'm a, I'm a critical person. Critical people are not, are not people who are looking for problems. It's looking for what else can be better. Right? And can your churches be better? Now, if you see this, it is the Lord giving you the responsibility not just only to point it out and vocalize it and then point to the pastor and say, you fix it. That's not what happens. Amen? Amen? <laughs> it means saying, hey, how can I solve this myself? And how can I use the, the accountability structure of the church and the resources of the pastor, and how can we all work together in solving this particular solution? That's that the problems can be, why aren't there any young people in the church? Why is, uh, why is cradle roll full of old people? You know, that, that's a huge problem. Okay? Uh, why is there no potluck? Why is there no fellowship? Our church is too cold. Our church is too hot. Our church is too late scene. Our church doesn't do Bible studies. Our church, our church, our church, right? And the minute you point your finger at the pastor and say it's the pastor's fault, and, and, and are there a lot of scenarios where it is the pastor's fault? As a pastor of the church, I'll say yes. Yes. But it doesn't give you the, the right to, to stand up and be the Elijah of the group and say what, you know, and speak to him in King James language. Okay? You want to go to him and pray with him. And, and in, many, in many, and I'll say this as a young pastor, in many scenarios, you'll have to mentor the pastor. 
Okay, I don't know if that's a, if that's a, a legitimate thing to say, but, but at least for me, I appreciated the mentoring of my church members. I really did. And then me, 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 me being mentored by my church members also gave me the license for me to also mentor them. And this is the basis of fellowship. Okay? Obviously, there's, there's conditions for, and there's, there's, there's nuances for all these things. Before I continue, I'm going to ask, one, if you guys can continue squeezing in, we have a couple brothers and sisters in the wings. Got one seat here, got three seats over here. Make sure that everyone gets a seat. Come in, come in, come in, come in. We still love you. You're late, but we love you. Come in, come in, come in. Come in. Come in. Okay. Um, that's, that's immediately what's on my mind for now. Um, I can't think of anything else. So I'm going to hand over the microphone to, to Israel Ramos, and uh, he's going to share some of his... Uh, I have a few things that I want to share from a small church perspective. How many of you guys here attend a church that has less than 200 people attending it? That's the majority, right? How many of you guys have attend church that has less than 100 people attending it? All right, that's a lot of you too. I had a three-church district, then I was given a fourth-church district in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, and um, Sri is talking to me. I have to shut her up. And uh, during that process, I learned a lot of things that I want to share with those, especially those of you who are attending what you would consider to be a smaller church or a, or a, a part of a district where your pastor is being shared with other churches. There are several challenges that small churches face. Number one is what I call the small church syndrome. You go to a church, the church thinks, I'm too small to have an impact in the larger context. We're too small. We don't have enough money. Uh, if we did, then this would solve our problems and we would grow. And so... The small church syndrome is a church that looks at its weaknesses instead of looking at its strengths. You look at the book of Acts and you find over and over and over again that the church of Acts does not look at what it does not have, but it looks at what God has given it. And what is it that God promises to give to every single church? He promises to give every single church, no matter how great, how small you are, He promises to give the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the small church syndrome is a church that looks at itself and looks at its weaknesses, what it cannot do instead of what it can do. One of the challenges. The other challenge is that it's usually composed of older people. It doesn't have a lot of young people. It has most of the people in attendance are very, very old. Uh, they're on their way out. Uh, and um, and, and, and this, is a, this is a very significant thing. The first church, uh, or when I went to my, my, my district up there, the first major thing that I had to conduct was not, a, um, was not a baptism. It was not even a communion service. It was a funeral. And friends started calling me. They were making me for this. They said, you're killing the church. <laughs> and um, you have older people. That's a very, very serious, a very serious thing to consider, even though it is kind of humorous sometimes. And the other thing is that because it's a small church, the issues that the church has are magnified. Someone wants to change the carpet, uh, the color of the carpet at the church, Another person disagrees. You think that that's normally not a bad thing. But because a church is so small, and those people represent two of the only families in the church, now you have a very, very, very huge problem, and you're right in the middle of that. And so you have the issues become magnified. Justin never had to deal with this, huh? <laughs> those are the challenges, and I'm sure there's a lot more, but there's also some opportunities that I want to talk to you about. Big opportunities for impact. Your church might be small, but if you think about it, if you're, one of the only, if you're one of the seven people that are attending that church, that means you have a large ability to impact those six other people, right? 
big opportunity for you got to look at things positively. The other thing is that it's a great family environment which also provides a great environment for training. Because the church is so small, usually they are much more willing to allow anyone to do anything. You have a great idea, they're willing to let you give it a shot. You don't know how to preach, you never preached before, you can't even talk, they're willing to give you a shot. <laughs> great opportunities and a great training environment. And there's also great ministry experiences. Uh, in my district, we had a church uh, that had membership or attendance of about seven people. And the head elder there, uh, when we met with him, uh, he told me that his biggest passion, his dream, was to win his family. He had a brother, son, and a daughter. And by the grace of God, we saw through the course of time that all of those started coming back to church and gave their lives to Christ. Some of them for the first time, some of them uh, rededicated lives to Christ. And so there are great opportunities um, that are presented there in that, in, in, and experiences in that setting that are sometimes not available in other places. There are some things that anyone can do in a small church environment if you're willing to do them. And these are things that I consider important but often neglected ministries. What could I do? If you're asking yourself the question, what can I do uh, in my local church? You could uh, do these, these very, they seem as, very, as, as though they are very small things, but they're very significant. One of those things is uh, become a greeter. You can't preach, you can't do anything, uh, you can't give a Bible study. Become a greeter in your local church. There's a lot of small churches that they think because they're so small, they, they don't want to uh, encourage people, they don't want to encourage people to come in, sit down, be friendly. They're not, they have so many, um, uh, they're worried so much about how they look or what people might perceive them as that they don't uh, have often very good greeters. You can be a great greeter. And greeting is a very important part of church, even small churches. Uh, just being a friendly church has changed the entire culture of the church that we were involved up there in the Upper Peninsula. This is another funny one that you might think uh, um, that you might be happy you're not paying any money for this seminar because of this. But another big thing that you can do is help with the cleaning of the church. Help with the cleaning of the church. You eat potluck, help clean up. Usually, I mean, think about it. We got there in uh, Houghton. I want to tell you a story about this guy named Ernie. He was our head deacon. I mean, this guy, you know, just go faster. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's being recorded. Ernie won't mind. Yeah. Ernie, older gentleman, about 70 years old. This guy, perhaps out of all the people in my churches, just had a tremendous impact on my young ministry. You can never beat this guy to church. I mean, no matter how hard you try, if you would wake up in the morning at 4 and say, I'm going to beat this guy today, he would be there. I don't think he ever left the church. 70 years old, it's snowing. The guy is the first to just clear the entire driveway. He came to church every Friday, set the heater. I mean, in the Upper Peninsula, it's, it's, a, it's a big deal driving seven miles to set the heater. Let me tell you that. First in church all the time. And um, what was my point here? Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. And I thought to myself, this guy is 70 years old. And here I am, I'm 30-something years old. And he's doing all of these things. And it finally dawned on me, hey, it would be good for you to help this guy. I mean, he's like out here, 70 years old, plus retired, and he's working, cleaning the church, setting up the table, setting up the baptistry, setting up the heater. Help these people out. They're usually older people. You have some energy, you have some strength, they don't have help with the cleaning of the church. That will make a larger impact than you know. 
Teaching Sabbath school. Everyone hates teaching Sabbath school. I don't know why, but everyone seems like teaching Sabbath school is something you can do. And if you do it, if you want to teach Sabbath school, do a good job at it. Prepare. Apply the Sabbath school lesson to yourself instead of to the church or to the larger context or to someone that is not you. Apply it to yourself. And you'll start noticing that even in the Sabbath school class, you'll begin to make changes, spiritual changes, right away in your local church. There's a lot of potential in small church ministry. I want to tell you a story about a guy named Andy. He's now in Illinois. He was, um, he was not a Seventh-day Adventist. The guy had nothing. He knew nothing about. He came to me and wanted a Bible study because he wanted me to introduce him literally he wanted me to introduce him to Moses. He said, who's Moses? I want to meet him. The guy's from Cuba, never knew anything about God. Through the course of time, we gave him Bible studies. He became uh, baptized. And just as he was leaving, or just as he got baptized, he graduated and left to Chicago. We lost in Michigan, left to Chicago. But I was so happy when he came back and visited, and I discovered that now he's a part of his local church board, part of the finance committee, educated man, and he's making an impact, a difference in his local church. Another girl named Crystal came through our church. She, on her baptism day, impacted another gentleman named Gabe so much that this guy gave his life to Jesus, was baptized. Now he's a local elder in our church. One of the best, finest young men that I've ever met in my life. There's a lot of potential in the local church, whether it's great or small. And the question is, what are you willing to do in order to make an impact the local church? I'm going to close with this. What do you do? What do you do if you want practical things of what to do when you go back to your small church? First thing I would encourage you to do is pray. Not just, Lord, what would you, but really spend some time praying. What can I do so that I don't mess it up, but help instead, right? Because some people mess the thing up instead of help. What can I do, Lord, to grow to help your church? Pray earnestly. Second, act. Do something. Uh, Justin already said, if God has given you something to look at, you see a, a problem in the church, you are the answer to that problem. God has revealed it to you because you are the answer to that problem. Act. Do something. After you do, this is, it gets tricky here, the order. After you do something, tell your pastor. Sometimes it's better to tell him before. Sometimes it's better to tell him after. That's why you pray, right? If you tell him before, he won't let you do it. Tell him after, but make sure you succeeded so that he's not mad at you and you don't get kicked out of the church. Tell. And then after, I always put this, after you tell them, most of the time you're going to have to go back and correct, right? Pray, do or act, tell, and then go back and correct what the mistake that you've done. But you've done something for the Lord. God will use it. He'll make you a, a successful person that will grow his church. And that small church, you'd get rid of the small church syndrome. It will play a major role in the advancing of God's cause. Good afternoon, everyone. Hey, would you do me a favor? Um, just without getting up, reach around and shake somebody's hand that you don't know and just say hello to them, okay? We're all in this together. We're a family. Yeah. I know you. If you've noticed already, there's a change that's taken place in this room. If, if, if you look at each other's faces, you'll see a different dynamic now that's happened in this room. I remember, you guys, when I first gave my life to Jesus Christ, I was not um, a Christian at all. 
I had left the church. My parents were godly people. I had a wonderful family. I wasn't angry with the church. I just thought the world um, had more to offer, and it was a whole lot more fun. And, and so when I gave my life to Jesus, when I realized the devil's a liar and he's a deceiver, I gave my heart to Jesus. I was a welder, and I worked 300 feet up in the air. And I built power plants, and I worked for Exxon and H.B. Zachary and, and Brown and & Root, and I worked for a lot of these big com- companies, and that's all I wanted to do was I wanted to own my own business, and I wanted to be a welder. And so, you know, when I first uh, found out how much Jesus loves me, um, I, I, I started to, first of all, I, I started to just cry. Uh, I gave my life to the Lord uh, in my bathroom, and I used the toilet as an altar. I don't know, I was just there, and I just knelt on my knees, and God revealed himself to me like he'd never been before. And And I said, God, if you will save me, I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do whatever you want me to do. And so I gave my life to the Lord. I was, I was married. My wife came home, and I told her what I did. And, of course, my dad, when I called him, he was crying. And I'll never forget the first time that I went to church. The first time I came into church, people just looked at me. You know, they had, they had seen me around before, and my wife went to church there before, but... And, and, and someone actually asked me, what are you doing here? <laughs> and it was one principle that I learned when you're going to be a spirit-fed leader is Psalms 119.165. Perfect peace have they that love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You guys, if you're going to be a spirit-fed leader, it's not one day a week. It's not that you put your church hat on and you're going to Sabbath school and you're being a witness. I found that when I would, I learned about Jesus and I learned about his love, I wanted to know more. And so one of the things that really impacted my life is I got up an hour early. I got up at 5 so that I could leave the house at 6 and be to work at 7. And I had to have that hour time with God. And there were times where I'd fall asleep during that hour. There were times when I didn't know how to study the Bible. Um, But I stayed with it. And God spoke to my heart. And I began to fill my lunch pail with literature. And I would, um, God just put it uh, something in my life. And I said, Lord, is there somebody I can share your love with today? And inevitably, I worked on a job where there was like 4,000 men on the job. And, and we're building stuff. And you can die any time. There's ambulances on the job. I mean, it's a huge structure. You're building these power plants. You're working 300 feet up in the air. And I'm like, God, who can I be a witness to? I'll never forget one day. There's this guy coming up to me. And I have helpers and wel- you know, welders. We have helpers and we have all of our rigging. He comes up to me and he says, hey, man, he says, you got to smoke. And I said, no, I, I don't have a smoke. And I'm, I'm thinking about the blueprints and what I'm going to be building. And, and so he says, oh, well, he says, you, you got to dip. You know, they, and, and I said, no, I don't, I don't dip. 
And, and then this Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he says, Ken, those tracks that you keep in your pocket look like a pack of cigarettes. And I said, oh, cool. I said, hey, I got something better than that. And he goes, oh, you got a joint? <laughs> I said, no, it's even something better than that. I pulled it out, and it's this track on salvation. And his mouth just went, whoa. And I said, this is all about the Lord. You guys, I found that when I'd spend time with Jesus, there were times that the Holy Spirit would speak to my heart and he'd say, I want you to share a word with this person. I want you to give this person literature. And I would sometimes rationalize, what is that person going to think about me? This is awkward, God. I don't like this. I'm going to feel uncomfortable. We're in a group and they could laugh at me. And one of the things that I t learned, and if you're going to be a spirit-fed leader, if you're going to be someone that leads other people to Jesus, is you've got to spend time with Jesus. And so I read, I immersed myself in the Gospels and in the Desire of Ages, and I had a Steps to Christ in my pocket, and I was reading it one day, and there was this welder that was around me, and he was cussing and swearing and telling dirty jokes. And I, by this time, I had begun to develop an ear to hear the Spirit of God. Do you know what I'm talking about, you guys? When you, when, when you have excuses, when you make excuses, um, then, then God's Spirit says, okay, if you don't want to listen to me, I'll shut up. But if you really want to hear God's voice, if you really want it to get louder, if you want it to be clear, act out on those little things that God asks you to do. And so, you know, it would be awkward times and I, I, sometimes I would fail. Sometimes I would go home and I would just apologize. Lord, I didn't represent you right. I said the wrong thing. I could have said it better. And God says, I know, but you just let me do the work. You just keep going. You just keep going forward. One day, this guy, I was praying, Lord, he's cussing, he's swearing. Give me something to say for two weeks. God never let me say anything. And then one day I had the steps to Christ. And it was in my back pocket. And, and, and welders, we weld this pipe together. And, and, and I, I, I'm under my hood and I'm praying. I'm talking to God and I'm welding this pass. And then I, I pull my hood up and I pull my steps to Christ out and I read it while my helper takes a grinder and grinds that weld so I can make the second pass or he buffs it so I can make a third pass depending on where I'm at. And I'm reading this and I'm putting this in my head and this guy comes up to me and he says, Hey man, what do you got? And he used some explicit language. Thought I had a Playboy or a penthouse or something. And he says, What do you got there? Let me see that. And God spoke to me. The Spirit of the Lord spoke to me. And, and God, you know, He doesn't want us to be obnoxious as Christians. I've been there, guys. I've been there. I've alienated people because I was so zealous. Especially you get into church and you're reading the Spirit of Prophecy and you're reading the Bible and they aren't. What? Can you see this? What's wrong with you? Are you dead? And so, you know, I, and, and so the Spirit of God works with us, and he's like, ah, and I go like this. No, I got something better than that. <laughs> now, to a dirty-minded man, what's better than a dirty-minded book? You know? Oh, I'm sorry. 
<laughs> okay. A little carried away here. <laughs> anyway, I, you know, t- and, and so he's like, I want what's in his chest. I want to know, what do you got? And I said, oh, man, this stuff is so much better than that. He's like, what is it? What is it? What is it? And he says, are you sure you want one? <laughs> yeah, let me see. <laughs> and I pulled it out, and I says, this is all about Jesus and how he died for me and how he can save to the uttermost. And then he blew me away. He said, oh, I'm a Christian too. (laughs) And I'm like, huh? He goes, well, he says, I'm a backslider. I said, oh. He says, but you know, he said, "Uh, can I have one of those books? Guys, he never swore around me again. I never had to say, I never had to say, don't tell dirty jokes around me. Don't swear around me. It wasn't too many years, and I had done the same thing. And so when you're working for Jesus, you realize you're a sinner in need of a Savior every single day, and that's why you go to the throne of grace every day. Now when God takes me into church, and by the way, that man came back and he says, I started going to prayer meeting and I told people about this book. I got him a case of 100 of those happiness digests and he gave them to his whole church, Sunday keeping church. And guys, when, when I, now I go into church and I'm like, you know, okay, God, where can you use me? My church that I first attended, they could have, I could have easily just occupied a pew and, and everybody would have been very content. But when I spend time with Jesus, he's not content. Guys, if you're not doing anything in your church, if you're not looking around and saying, God, can you use me? It's probably because you're not asking God. You're, you're actually telling the Holy Spirit how much he can influence you and how much he can't. You see, when we give our lives to Jesus, we forfeit our right to choose who we can love. And so, you know, you give um, your life to Christ and he'll use you. And so I went to church and I said, okay, where's the need? At first it was crater roll. (laughs) I didn't know anything about that, but my wife and I, we were in crater roll. And and then there was a need. They needed a chorister in church. And I was like, okay, I'll I'll do that. And so, you know, I got up in Sabbath school and, and they asked me to be a superintendent after this, but I was a chorister and I was doing this. I had never had music appreciation until after I went to college, after I was married. And so I didn't know anything about timing. I didn't know what 4-4 four, four meant or 3-4 or 6-8. or I didn't know what that meant. They just didn't have anybody that would lead worship, or, uh, music. And so I said, okay, I'll do it. So I was like this and doing that and singing, praise the Lord. And finally one sister came up to me and says, what are you doing with your arm? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm just leading music. She brought me over to her house. She was a musician, and musicians just go crazy when I'm in the <laughs> And she, she had me over to her house, and she told, taught me what that all meant. And I was like, oh, wow, that's what that's for. 
the other principle. Guys, I think the reason why I became a pastor and why I'm a youth director today is simply because that morning time and I simply just said, Jesus, would you please use me? And he that is faithful and that which is least can be trusted with much. And if, we, if you've given a talent, whether it's one or whether it's five, don't bury it. Use it. And, and don't be satisfied. Don't wait for somebody to come and ask you to do something. Find the lowliest tax, like, like uh, Israel was saying, the, the lowliest task, and just do it with all thy heart. Whatsoever thy hand, thy hand find to do, do it with all thy might. And you watch. God's just going to, he's going to, angels are going to say, hey, well, this guy's faithful. You can use him. Hey, right here. He's in the Sabbath school class. He's doing a terrible job, but his heart's in it. Use him. I'm, I'm glad I'm not a crater roll teacher today. You know, but in some of you, you might find your niche and it's like, wow, I just want to be a career Sabbath school teacher, whatever. With me, he just kept moving me along. Don't be afraid to, to, to make mistakes or don't be worried about what people think about you. Worried about, be worried about what God thinks about you. Hang on to that. I got this. All right, thank you. Well, let's, uh, we want you to have influence in that, that local church. Why do we want you to have influence? We want you to have godly influence in that local church. So what is leadership? Leadership is influence. Nothing less and nothing more. You with me? Thinking about that? Leadership is influence. Nothing less, nothing more. So how do you get influence? Well, first of all, you get influence for Christian leadership. By the way, you can take some of these principles and you can use them in the secular world. But we're not talking about that kind of leadership. We're talking about Christian leadership. So how do you get influence in that local church? How do you develop that influence? Well, first of all, what you've heard here about connecting with God. So we're in supernatural business, so you have to have supernatural power. And you don't, I'm going to take my cut off, it's a little warm in here. You don't get supernatural power unless you have supernatural connection. So how do you get influence? Well, first of all, if you want friends, you must show yourself, these are pretty simple things, friendly. Now, don't raise your hand. Maybe I should have you raise your hand. How many of you get energy by connecting to other people. Now, if I took Ken Mitchiff here, when he's connecting to other people, he's gaining energy. I'm not sure about Justin. He may be using energy. They're both effective leaders. But one thing is for sure that both Pastor Ken and Pastor Justin, or whoever you put your name in there, you must connect to people, even if they don't like you. 
And even if you don't, nat- there's some people that you just don't naturally have chemistry with. You ought to go all out of your way to connect. What do you do on Sabbath morning? You sleep late. You get to church late. Forget your influence. Be there early. You don't have to be an elected greeter to connect. I have, my mother is 84 years old. She lives alone. Pastor Ramos, Israel. And probably the only time that she's going to get hugged when her boys are not around, and that's not very often, is when she goes to church on Sabbath. So if you're my mother's church, give her a hug. Now, if she's 20 years old, I'm not recommending that. I'm talking about my mother. I can talk about some of that later, but we're going to run out of time. My, my point is that even if it costs you energy, even if you're not naturally inclined that way, still go there and connect. Connect your own personality. I'm using these guys, and they're like, uh, Pastor Justin is not going to connect to people in the same way that Pastor Ken is going to connect to people. Israel is not going to connect in the same way. Do it in your own personality, but connect. Now, I'm going to give you three things on how to connect with people. You with me? I'm very simple. And I got them from a child raising book by the name of Campbell, but I have applied them to ministry and to leadership. Everybody has emotional tanks, like your gas tank, and that gas tank needs to be filled. What kind of gas tank? An emotional gas tank. By the way, it's good for your marriage, too, and for your kids. So, there's three ways... Well, let me put it this way. A lot of people may know that you like them. Your children may know that you love them. But if they don't feel loved, you have not connected. What did I say? Feel loved. You have not connected. How do you make people feel loved? Let me ask another way. How many of you like to feel like you're loved. I do. I like to be loved. Don't you like to be loved? <laughs> when you go to church on Sabbath morning, don't you like to come away feeling like that you're loved? When you're sick at home and you didn't get to go to church on Sabbath morning, what's the first thing you ask your spouse? When they come home? Yeah, did anybody ask about me? (laughs) Exactly. So what's going on here? The reason we have communities is because we love one another. You You want influence in that church? You connect. First way you connect with people is eye contact. Now, I didn't say, you know, staring at someone. But eye contact communicates care. When I look you in the eye, if I'm looking all down around here like this, but if I, if I look you in the face, I look you in the eye, I smile, that 
that communicates care. Well, that's easy. Can you do that? Even if you're introverted, can you do that? If you're sanguine, can you do that? Anybody in between can do that. The next thing is appropriate touch. Unline the word appropriate. And I uh, do not be just going in and hugging the ladies. Some of the ladies should have said amen. amen. Thank you. The lady hugs you okay. In regards to what you hear, I do believe in tent hugs. This is the Christian church. Somebody should have said hallelujah. Be appropriate. Don't give anybody a wrong... Okay, so I'm underlining the word appropriate. Now, Ken used you a while ago. You, you enter this? Oh, yeah. Well, some of us connect that way, you know. Yeah, at least I warned you. Come on up here. Tell them where you're from. Um, originally from Chicago. I'm in Keene, Texas now. All right. All right, good deal. Tell me your name. Mark Valadez. Okay, good, Mark. Now, if, so on Sabbath morning, everybody, how many people? Everybody in your small, medium-sized, or large church needs to be connected with. If you're going to have influence in their life. So, uh, eye contact. Appropriate touch on Sabbath morning. I come up and I say, Mark, so good to see you. Now, I can do this several different ways. I can say, Mark, how nice to see you. Good to see you, man. Nice to see you. I'm grabbing somebody else. That's, that's kind of the extreme exsanguine, you know. You've you got to round this out in your life. Or I can say, Mark, so good to see you. Now, look what else I'm doing. What am I getting ready to do? I'm getting ready to do something like this. What, what is this saying? This is, this is adding care. This is formal. This is, says care. Now, with men, I give men a hug like this. Good to see you, Mark. What, what, what am I doing? I, I'm telling him I care about him. I want him to know what's in my heart. Now, if you're a hypocrite, you can do this for the wrong reasons. You've got to give Jesus accountability for that. But we're doing this because we love Jesus and we love each other. And we want to connect to people in our church. Now, the next one is the hardest one. You still with me? The next one is the hardest one. And that's called focused attention. In a small church, you can give just about everybody focused attention. But in a larger church, it's hard to do that. So you have to find ways to do it. But again, so I say, Mark, so good to see you. How are you? By the way, last week, you told me about your mother-in-law and that she's not doing well. And I, I was praying for her this week. How is she doing? She's doing better. Praise the Lord. <laughs> What am I doing? I, I'm taking an interest in his life, and I've also communicated to him that I've had an interest during the week, that this is not just a sanguine exercise on Sabbath morning. 
that he's getting from me focused attention. Now I want to ask you a question. Am I going to have, am I going to have impact in his life? By the way, what would happen if you did that with new members after the evangelist is gone? What would, what would it do? Okay. Now, you can take that focused attention, you know, you can take it to inviting people home, you can, you, can do, you can take that to other places. But in other words, in order to make that connection, we've got to give people some of our life. And so you want to do that. Go ahead and have a seat there. Thank you very much. I might need you again in a little bit. I want to make sure that we have time. So the first thing you want to do is you gain influence in that local church by ministering to people. And God is love, and God does make us feel loved, and we are helping other people feel loved on Sabbath morning. By the way, I believe that love needs a delivery truck. Love should be organized. Love should not be disorganized. And one thing you can do if you have a small church is help get your, your love organize. You should have greeters on Sabbath morning, and they ought to be there early. I mean, you're not in the greeting business if you're there at 9.30 when Sabbath school starts. You're not in the greeting business. You're not in the greeting business unless you're at least 30 minutes ahead of there. Somebody needs to count the sheep on Sabbath morning. If you're a business person, you count your money at least once a week, or at least when the monthly statement comes out. You're going to count your money. Why shouldn't we count sheep on Sabbath morning? Why shouldn't there be an organized thing so that in the larger the church, the more organization you need for it? So if I know a certain family is missing, I'm giving them a call. Okay, that's, that's just a little side, side trip there. The next thing is, and these, these good brothers of mine have pointed this out, where are the needs in my church? What's needed? Now, we talked about greeting. Let me tell you, one of the toughest things to find is somebody to teach cradle roll. Get a drift. By the way, young men can do this as well. Somebody should have said amen. Should do by twos. You know, when I used to take over a new church, first thing I would do, you know, first thing I would do, I would visit Sabbath school, and I'd start with cradle roll. I'd sit in there, and I'd look, see what's happening, and then I'd go to kindergarten, I'd see what was happening, I'd see what was happening in primary, etc. And then when I... I took evaluation of it and because I said, uh, this is either really good or this is not working, and I'm not going to be able to bring young families in here. We're not going to be able to move this church unless I've got really good functioning uh, lower division Sabbath school classes. Those things need to really move. And maybe not everybody has a talent for that. And it's obscure. People don't even know you're there. But it's really, really needed. Am I right? So, look at Sabbath school. Sabbath school teaching was, was mentioned, and that was good. Um, help, helping just... Let's say that you're brand new in a church, and you don't, you don't know anything. Well, the first time they call, and they say, we're going to have a, a function then why don't you show up at the function? When you show up, people notice. You get involved, people notice. You don't have to have an office to get involved. You don't have an office to show up for function. 
All right. So we're talking about giving that. Now, once, once you have connected and once you have influence, you're going to start being asked to do things. Let's say that you're young and you've got a lot of, uh, a lot of talent and they've had an old elder there that's been an old elder there for many, many years and the things are just about like that. And the nominating committee calls you on the phone and they say to you, would you be our head elder this next year? And you say, of course, think a moment. Use wisdom. This is not about you, and it's not about position. It's about servant leadership. And you say to Sister Nominating Committee, who calls you on the phone, and you say, Sister, I am just honored and humbled that you would ask, could, would you convey a message back to the nominating committee for me? Well, yes. You know, Brother So-and-So has been the elder here for many, many years. If you replace him with me, we're going to hurt him. We might even divide the church over personalities. Why don't you make me his associate head elder? Think. What's good for the church? I'm here to build the church. This is not about me taking over. This is about adding strength. And they come back and they make you that. So we took you up on that. So the nominating committee report is read. His name is read. And then you, you go pour water on that brother. You encourage him. You affirm him where he's good. And then, and then you say, you know, what do you think about, could we do that? If you, and, and you get him on your team. You don't have to be his position leader in order to become the leader. Position doesn't make you the leader in and of itself. It's how you use your influence that makes the difference. Still with me? Are those, can you do those things? Can you go back to your local church and do those things? Now, there's plenty of stuff to tell you how to be an elder, how to be a deacon, how to be a Sabbath school. There's lots of that kind of stuff, and I don't have time to get into all of that today. What we're trying to do is to give you the avenues of approach so that you can go back. First of all, I believe that you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You heard uh, them talk about how important prayer is. And let me tell you, the local church has lots of needs. I'm going to tell you about my mom and dad for just a moment. I was six years old. My mom and dad became Seventh-day Adventists. My father was a primitive Baptist. Unless you go to North Carolina or Tennessee, you won't know too much about that. Where's my Tennessee friend? Right there. You've heard of primitive Baptists. Yeah. They go to church once a month. It's radical predestination, it's really fatalistic. My dad was never satisfied. He fought World War II, or I shouldn't say fought, but was in World War II. Came out and married my mother. My mother was a missionary Baptist. And uh, anyway, they became Seventh-day Adventists. I won't go into that story. It changed our life. My parents were at the church every time the door opened. 
There are a lot of things they could do. Let me tell you, there's a lot of stuff you can do with your life. You, there's enough stuff out there to fill your life with nine lives. You ever hit Google and it says 43,500,000 sites? You know what I'm talking about? You couldn't go to all those sites in your whole life. You have to decide what's important to you. You have to decide that the local church is important with its 25 members and its elderly elder and some people who just don't always articulate things very well. You have to decide they are God's children. They're your brothers and sisters and you love them and they're your priority. And if you can't do that, you're not going to lead and have influence. Still love me? So you have to make it a priority. And every time the door was open, we were there. My parents were leaders in that church in some kind of capacity until my dad couldn't uh, do it anymore. My mother's still very much involved in her church. Uh, we've talked to her about, you know, she's living by herself. She doesn't want to give up her church. Did you know, hear that? Her church. That's because she's got a stake in it, and you need to have a stake in it. It may be an obscure Timbuktu, but it's your church that Jesus has given you, and you, you want to take possession of it in the right sense, in the right way. Okay, let's open this up for some question and answer. I'll get my panel back up here. You guys have some, uh, some things. I've got lots of stuff on leadership here. I... I, but we're not going to get there. And I want to give you a chance to really ask questions that are on your heart about uh, leadership in the local church. So let's give you a chance to do that. And uh, we're going to... Uh, I've got a guy that's going to circ circulate. So if you'll just stand right up. Do um, you need to stand up? We've been in here over an hour. Let's stand up. Uh, Ken, you still singing, buddy? How about leading us in a song? <laughs> There's a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it apart, for the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there in the Don't sit down until you pat somebody on the back. All right, good. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much. All right, uh, let's, uh, let's take some of your questions. Let me say something else, too. Uh, it just kind of hit me as we were singing there. The local church doesn't belong to any of us. It might be my church but it doesn't belong to me. It belongs to the Lord Jesus. And the worst thing that you can have is somebody that goes into a local church and tries to be a control controller. God didn't call me to control anybody. In fact, I've got quotes on here from the church manual, actually quoting Ellen White, 
that talks about being leaders in the local church, that we're not there to rule, we are there to consult and collaborate. Now, what if there are things in the church that aren't right? We have to be patient sometimes. We have to work those gently. But we don't want to lose people in the process. We can move in the right direction, but you've got to bring people with you. It's always easy to have a fight. There's some churches that just seem to love a fight. I, there's some churches, there's some people in some churches who... You, oh, <laughs> you worried there for a minute. We were arguing about the carpet. <laughs> okay. But, uh, I, I want to come back to that carpet thing now, forget that. But anyway, uh, if, if you, if, there's just some personalities that look at the church like the political process around them. You know, they're seeing all these people vying for position and creating rivalry. If you've got rivalry going on in your church, you do not have church. You've got something else going on. Now, I didn't say there couldn't be tension at times about certain things. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying if, you, if, if you're looking at brother or sister so-and-so and says, okay, my ideas are going to do here. Let's see how I can manipulate this. You've got a problem. You don't own it. You're there to minister. What we're interested in is servant leadership. There to serve the Lord Jesus. Now, we want to stand for truth, stand for what's right. I think we can do that without creating volcanoes. Back to the carpet. By the way, if you want to be wise as a young person, and there's a, and there's a problem coming up and a fight brewing... Rather than take sides, are you with me? Rather than take sides, say, you know, maybe we have a problem because we didn't put together a good process. Could we just pause and ask ourselves, what kind of process would Jesus use to arrive at a decision? You know, my best thing I've got in my toolbox, and you're standing, bless your heart, don't go away. Best thing I've got in my toolbox is the golden rule. Make sure that every process is golden rule driven. And then you'll get a good process. All right, let's take this lady right here. Sister, go right ahead. What's your question? I have kind of, kind of a difficult question. It's on. Is it okay? Yeah, it's on. Okay. Is, Don't be afraid to speak right into it. Pastors come and go, uh-huh. and we have smaller churches, and some of us have constituents in our church who do think that they run the church uh-huh. and make it very difficult for the people who actually do run the church. And the pastors kind of come and go. And how do you deal with those type of people? As Like, I am a leader in the church. I'm a treasurer for my church. But we have this constituent that have no offices in the church, but through gossip and kind of their influence, and they... Unfortunately, a lot of them have a lot of time on their hands where a lot of the rest of us don't. But how do we deal? And the pastors, unfortunately, sometimes seem un, unable in themselves to do something about it. Well, sometimes so pastors can't fix that. and I, That's a spiritual issue. It needs to be dealt with spiritually. If you've got a gossip problem, then how do I, how do I get influence? If you've got a gossip, if I've got a gossip problem, how do you get influence with me so you can help me with that? That's the question you ask yourself. 
the first thing we think about is, I need to go fix the go- I got to go fix, fix the gossip problem. Well, the real issue is, I probably need to make sure I've got a relationship with you so I can get to that issue. We, we have to think about how we, we jump too quick to the result, and don't, we don't back ourselves. And say, okay, how do we get there? The pastor's probably not going to fix that real easy right off. It's going to take some of you to do it. Any of you guys want to throw anything in on that? What comes to my mind. What comes to my mind is when. You know, you have those kind of issues. There's usually a problem inside with someone's heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I'm about Jesus' mission and about his ministry, um, I, I'd invite him over to my house and have, have him over to eat, you know, and, and fellowship with that person. Uh, have you ever been invited over to somebody's house and then right after that criticize them? It's hard to do because they love you and they're reaching out. And, mm-hmm. you know... They, they may not feel loved or accepted. They might be the, the problems of the devil. We're not against them. And so I'd invite them over to my house. Hey, let's go do something together. Let's do something crazy together. Let's hike 10 miles. Let's go on a camp out. Let's, you know, I mean, obviously talking about it isn't going to help. And look for the positive. I was, I was saying some, where there's some a negative criticism going on, and uh, I found something good to say. So you've got to get to people's heart. You, you can't walk into that person and say, you know, you've got a gossip problem. We've got to work on this. Let me give you one of the methods of Jesus. He was a marvelous questioner. He knew how to ask questions. I, I wish I had time to get into that, and I don't. Any you guys want to add anything to that? Another question. All right, right over here. Uh, you talked about making a connection with everyone that comes to church. Our officer year in our church starts next week, and I got stuck as head greeter. And uh, oh, I want to talk to you. Yeah. And uh, yeah. And uh, so my team has been asking me a question I haven't really answered, and they said, when when visitors come, what? What things can we say to make a meaningful conversation where we connect, where it doesn't feel awkward, where we can just naturally talk to people? Do you have ideas for that? Yes. Learn to ask good questions. Okay. You, uh, where's, my, where's my stand-in here? Where's my stand-in? I, I'm so glad to hear your mother-in-law is doing, is doing better. Uh, is, uh, is she all the way back to 100% or... She's about 90%. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> now, in our, our church, we just finished a bunch of evangelism. So we have people coming all the time that us greeters have never met. Right. Because their friends are pulling them in. That came. So for a first time, when I, you know, first time You're seeing my man. Them, what do I do? All right. You know, I am so pleased to see you. For some reason, I haven't gotten your name, and I'm ashamed of myself. But. My name is Mark Valadez. It's all right. Uh, Mark, I'm so thrilled you're here. Now, you were ba- weren't you baptized? Just Yes, I was. I was. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have. And, uh, and how's it been going with you and the Lord Jesus? It's been going well. I'm, I'm connecting with the Lord every day. Praise God. Amen. Are you finding uh, joy in reading your Bible? Like I, never- sh- I sure am. Tell me, tell me what's the greatest thing that, that's happened since you've given your life to the Lord. Well, you know, the greatest thing is being able to witness and share Christ and just see people glow as they respond to Christ. Amen. Amen. And guess what's going to happen next week when I see him? 
That's where we're going to take off. Did you have any experience with talking to anybody about the Lord this last week? Yes, actually, I, I, my cousin I haven't spoken to in a while. <laughs> you got to tell me about this. Okay. That, that you got to coach that team to do that thing because you know we got this formal greeting thing. Right. Oh, I'm so glad you're. No, forget it. You know, he, yeah. he needs some focused attention, especially those people. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Do uh, you guys want to add anything to that? Yeah, I would. I would add to that. Uh, sometimes the um, the pastor does not have the opportunity to watch everyone that's coming in and out of his church, and so if there's an interest that comes into the church, over here, yeah. we'll get away if, from each other. The mics. Yeah. If, there's, if there's a person that comes into your church um, that you see is is you know in need of some help, I would I would introduce that person to the pastor. Or introduce that person to another person that you think might connect. In other words, the greeter is not just someone who says hi to people, but it's the one who connects people and ensures that they are being taken care of. And so Mark comes to your church. He just got baptized. Hey, Mark, you know, this is another... Have you met Justin yet? You know, have you met Elder Gallimore <laughs> yet? Have you met... And, 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 and be the glue that brings all these people oh, wow. together so that person knows as many people as possible from the church. And you'll find out that that will do great wonders, not just for the church, but for the pastor. You find something out from that person. Hey, my mother-in-law is sick. You now have something to communicate with the pastor. Pastor, this is Mark. Mark, by the way, his mother-in-law just got sick. And then that can, be, uh, that can further the ministry there. The pastor now knows I should probably visit Mark's mother-in-law or, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I would find ways to connect that person with as many people as possible in your church. Remember, that's powerful stuff. That is really powerful stuff. Thank you. Glue. Glue, don't forget. You know, you, you use the word stuck, and I know, I know why you use that word, but I, I met with my, my greeters. Greeters are like the green beret of your local church. They're the front line, and when, I don't want to use war terminology, but when, when someone's coming in, <laughs> their, their opinion of the church will be made in the first nanoseconds yep. of the impression they have with the greeter. That's right. And so uh, I met with my greeters and said, look, you guys, you guys aren't just some fluffy ushers that are in the front and just say, you know, you smile and give them a program. You're the green beret of this local church. And the entire evangelistic environment is dependent on that first impression. Some of them got like pumped up and some of them got like, whoa, it's overwhelming a responsibility. Then you've you got to train them as head, head deacon. Uh, what we do at our church is we give them a tour around the whole church. Um, and say, hey, this is where our cafeteria is. This is a, and while you're going around the church, this is where you meet people and, and, and introduce them. The statistics are, you guys probably know, if, if a newcomer to a church has at least five to seven friends, there is about a 90% chance they're going to come back again and become a Seventh-day Adventist church member. Mm-hmm. If they have three to five, there's about a 50% chance. If they have one to three, there's, virtually they're not going to come back again. So it's, it's, we, we, they intentionally, and not artificially, you understand, not artificially, but try to get them to connect at least to seven people and, and get them with a, uh, at least a solid, good Christian first-time relationship and a first good impression. Wow, that is excellent stuff. No, what stop. he's really saying is, don't be afraid to train your greeters. Don't be afraid to train them. And okay. I would follow up with just, uh, it's maybe not as much as what you say, is what your team does. You get your team together and say, how can we meet needs? 
if it's raining, do you guys have umbrellas to help people in? Yeah, thinking ahead. You know, you could, you could, you know, what are, what are you going to do if you're living in a snow climate? What are you going to do, for instance, if older people come or if handicapped people come? Do you have a plan for those people? Mm-hmm. When they drive in, do they know that they care? Do you have a, maybe some churches I've heard big enough to where their parking lot, they have a golf cart. And they're, 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 they're greeters in a, they have a greeter in a golf cart. And they'll truck out. Hey, come on, I'm going to give you a ride in. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're making connections. I make connections with people a lot better when I'm doing something for them than when I just give a, a, a floppy handshake. What good stuff. Think ahead and plan ahead for... Yeah, you got another one thrown in here. Okay, well, we really yeah. stir up their pure minds here. Okay, hurry, I just want to say one more thing. we got standing here. If you are lacking any questions, I think the, 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 the easiest question to remember, a question that you'll always get an answer to is, do you have plans for dinner tonight? Or to, do, what are you doing after church? Where are you eating today? And uh, almost everyone, everyone will have an answer to that question. It's either going to be yes or no. And, um, and if it's no, you know where to invite them, right? And so uh, that's a question that every time I meet someone that comes into my church, the very first thing I'm going to ask them is, where are you going to eat today after church? Good, excellent. Was he standing here? I think you've been standing the longest. Who's been standing? Who's got the microphone? Right here, right here. I'll the guy right here. All right, Sister whoever's got the microphone, speak up. Young ladies, speak right up. Uh, hi, first of all, I'd like to thank all of you. Um, this has been great. Um, I'm actually part of a campus ministry in a public university. Amen. And um, I think the problem that's happened is the ministry's been here for a while, but it's become more of a social group. And so what... Oh, thank you. <laughs> so what the ministry really needs right now is a revival, um, just as our church does. And so I think the hardest thing to do is change the mindsets, um, mm-hmm. myself included, to being more evangelistic. And um, I just wanted some advice for campus ministries as well as um, how to connect with our local church. For some reason, it kind of seems as if there's like a church does this thing and we do our thing and we kind of collaborate sometimes, but there's not necessarily a... a easy like connection a flow of communication as well as how to motivate a group of people for a revival who are so used to being complacent and seeing your friends each week and not motivated to bring outside friends in I'm going to ask and answer your second question first then Israel's going to answer your first question <laughs> okay right Israel okay good <laughs> uh, you know Pastor Ken talked about spending that time with God Go to church, prepare to talk about the love of Christ. When you meet people and they say, how are you? You say, you know, Jesus has been so good to me this week. Give your testimony. And you start that kind of thing in your church and it's catching. Going to churches that are stiff and cold, they need to hear the testimonies of warm power. And and start telling people what Jesus said. So how are you doing? Well, you know what Jesus did for me this week? And then tell your story of how God brought somebody that you could witness to or whatever it is. This is what Jesus did for me this week. And becomes powerful and becomes catchy. Connecting with the local church is uh, it's necessary if your campus ministry is going to survive. I think most of the answer to that we're going to have to talk about privately through email or something. We can connect with that. But what I would do is I would go immediately to your local church. First, I'd get together with your group. You want to stop what's going on as far as um, the mediocrity. You want to get more spiritual. There's no, uh, there's no slow way to go about it. You've got to get your friends together. Uh, they're going to think they're coming together to play a board game at your house. And instead of a board game, you pull out the Bible and you say, listen, this is what we've been doing. 
we need to stop today. And then you pray, and that from that point on you say, let's begin to write down some names. How many people do you know on your campus that are spiritually minded? Forget the other people. Just how many do you know that for a fact are Christians, have some type of spiritual connection, write their names down, have a prayer meeting that day, that week, call them, invite them to a Bible study, and then you, from that point on you're going to see God work wonders. Connecting with a local church, go to your pastor and tell them we are a group of students we are willing to follow the Bible and do whatever it takes to win our campus. What can we do? We want to be part of the local church. We want you to train us. Your pastor will be very, very dumb if he does not take you up on that offer. I don't know of any pastor that would not take you up on he, If he doesn't take you up on that offer, you contact your conference president and then <laughs> perhaps he'll fire him. Right? So I don't know. But that's what I would do. Tell your local church pastor, I want to be involved. We have a group of five people, six people, ten people. We will do whatever it takes to be involved. Go on Sabbath, whatever. Your, your pastor will be excited about that. Okay, just, who has the mi- next microphone? Right over here. Oh, just, just to, just to if can oh, add I'm there. Sorry. I'm sorry. Just to generalize me that question for, for young adults to be taken seriously at the local church level. Here's some, some tips you can do. One is code, go to the board meetings. In the Adventist ecclesiology, in the, in the church structure the way the Adventist church is, the local church is the most powerful entity. It is a, a direct contradiction to a lot of the other uh, systems out there. The, the, the board is an open... Anyone can come to the board. Take uh, some interest in what is happening. Second, uh, read Robert's Rules of Order. How many of you guys know Robert's Rules of Order? If you don't know Robert's Rules of Order... Uh, and most likely on the local church level, if you have a small church, it's going to be a lot. Of, it's going to be kind of weird, and this is all necessary. This is all boring and whatnot. But just just a young person really having a good grasp of Robert's Rules of Order, it also helps you for civic service later on too. It really gets you to be like, man, this guy is serious. Third is take an interest in the church finances. Now you can do all these things to gain church power, but more than church power, if we're servants of the Lord Jesus, we're doing this for ministry. Right? If there's nothing in the, in, 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 the, in the, if the finances are super bad, no one's going to say, hey, let's go for all out for campus ministry. At least being aware and cognizant of the financial situation makes you more informed to pitch for campus ministries on the poor level. And also last is read the Adventist Review. You guys know what the Adventist Review? Okay. There, the Adventist Review is, is a magazine and, and there's some good stuff in there. The most powerful part of the Adventist Review is reading the first part of the letters to the editor. You guys know what I'm talking about, the first part? That part gives you an insight, a in, little bit into the, the dialogue and the discussion that's happening on the local church level. Okay. A lot of those things that may, may never even use, and sometimes they're complaining, sometimes they're just like, oh, you're so awesome. But sometimes there are some good gems in there that give you a lot of insight and, 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 and other local churches they have similar experiences with and helps you be aware of what's going on. I think if you do this, are you guaranteed a lot of these? No. But the local church will take you, take you seriously. I, that's, that's my, my humble take. Okay, excellent. All right, who has the microphone right here? Uh, I appreciate the very practical demonstration earlier. Um, and being, being uh, someone who works with young people uh, and whatnot and also going to different churches every weekend and, and dealing with church members, how do I practically um, fill the influence bank with the sisters. You demonstrated the brothers. But, you know, you did the whole hand thing. I don't know if that's appropriate. Just, I don't know if you, you know, yeah, explain I, I, or demonstrate. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't voluntarily hug ladies. Um, one, I, now, if they're old enough to be my grandmother, and that, that's getting more narrower now than it used to be. 
when I was your age, most of the ladies could hug me without a problem, you know. But um, except, um, the, except in a time of crisis, uh, you have to use some common sense here. There's, there are times when people need to have that arm put around them. Um, now, if a woman comes up and hugs me, that's fine. I don't push people away. But I, I, am, I, I want to be very sensitive. I, I, there are some men who are not healthy in their mind, and they take advantage of a friendly church and make our sisters uncomfortable. And we want our churches to be co- uh, safe and comfortable for our sisters. They're God's daughters. And they're our wives and daughters. So use some common sense. Where's my, where's my stand-in here? No, I'm not going to use a female. You, you, you work. You've been doing pretty good here. He feels awkward about this probably as much as I do. I, I use a ten, If a woman comes up and hugs me, I, I do this. Okay? And... Uh, and I don't linger. Thank you, I heard at least one lady said amen. Uh, if sister wants to express that, I'm not trying to push her back, but I, I use that tent approach so that there's no misunderstanding that there's anything else on uh, my mind. As, a man. as men, we should be the protectors. I know that's not popular, but so be it. We should be the protectors of the women in, in our churches. And that goes beyond my wife. She's my first responsibility. But I also have a responsibility to the other sisters in my church. And we need to have healthy attitudes. We want healthy relationships. Uh, if you're a man and you've got a problem with your thinking about this kind of thing, come and talk to some of us. We'll help you out. And I'm serious. Uh, it's how you think. And in our world today, men are getting hit you know, the devil knows how we're all wired. Come to Michigan Men of Faith. We'll really work you over really good there. Right, Ken? He ends up uh, head men's Michigan Men of Faith, and there's some good stuff we accomplished there. I mean, some fantastic stuff. And it's something all of us as men have to go through. We have to make sure our thinking is appropriate and, and right on. But anyway, our first thing is be sensitive to that. So you asked me, Am I a good stand-in who stood in for everything? I, I'm going to owe you money after this thing is done. <laughs> Thank you so much. All right, did I, did I get, was I clear on that? All right, all right, good. All right, where am I? Where am I? If, if I do feel a need to hug a woman, I'm going to hug them. I'm not going to hug, if, if I'm going to initiate, which is rare, I do this. Okay? If, if I'm going to initiate something in a crisis, I do this. Okay. My question is for people in larger churches, where a lot of times it's, you don't even know everybody's names in a small church, you know every single person. But it's very difficult to gain that influence because a lot of times you're unnoticed, even when you're doing a fair amount of, of uh, or you're giving a fair amount of help. Um, and a lot of young people have a lot of really great ideas, but because it's very difficult to get influence, a lot of times they are not taken seriously or it's difficult to carry them out due to church politics and other things. So for large churches, and, and probably a lot of us in here come from large churches, what advice do you have for us dealing with um, kind of the obscurity um, that such a large church, the, the shadows that it casts over, over young people? 
Well, maybe I'll start off with that. Maybe the other guys will like to get into that, too. I, I've pastored uh, large churches. And even in large churches, you notice, pastors notice people that are there and who get involved. And not only does the pastor notice, but other people notice. So my best advice in a large church, connect with people and be there. Make the church your priority. You'll be surprised how quick they are to say, we could use you to help us do this. Hey, go there and help them unload the fruit. Go there and help them on the cleanup day. Be there for prayer meeting. Be there. Make church a priority. Even in a big church, you're going to get, looked, you're going to get seen. And most churches today love their young people and they want to involve their young people. I don't, I don't buy all this stuff. There's some of that. I understand that. But most churches love their young people and love to have them come and, and take part. And some older folk are just tired. They say, I'd love to have a young person stand beside me here, even in large churches. And they delight in it if it's healthy and wholesome. Any of you guys want to add anything to that? All right. Who else has a microphone? Right there. Um, my question kind of, I come from a very, a very dear, very loving church, a very small church. And many, many of our saints are, are getting older, um, um, shall we say, upper 80s. And one of the things that uh, my wife and I are facing, I guess, is perhaps a collective dementia uh, among those church members where perhaps they're living back in the 1970s and even decisions made by the local church board or the pastor or anyone else, after a week, it's as if they ne- never happened. What can you say to, to uh, that? Is there a doctor in the house? <laughs> More blueberries. I, I, don't, I don't have an answer for that one, brother. I, I'm serious. I don't. I, I can't fix that. I don't know what to do. These guys are all speechless too. So, shut them a minute. I think you need to bring more young people in so that can become the new memory in the church. All right. Yeah. Um, we have people coming in the church, and they're coming for the first or second time. They're not Adventists, but they are happy to be there. And how can we best use these people to work for God and to be involved? Sometimes we have conflict with our church board in how to use these young people coming to church since they have not been baptized. Oh, oh, you guys want to, Ken, you want to launch into that one? Tell them what not to do as well as what to do. (laughs) Would you repeat your question, please? Yes. um, We have young people coming into church. We we have um, we have uh, our church is really young. I probably 70% of our church is 30 or 35 years old. In younger and we have other younger people coming in a church but they are not seventy adventists they're coming for the first time and they like the church they like to stay and they like to participate and sometimes we have conflict with the church board because these people are not 
ready to get baptized yet, but they are willing to start working. They are they wanted to work, and so how can we handle that? I'm trying to understand. Is it because the church board, um, the kids don't look there? You know, maybe they're wearing a lot of jewelry, or what? What is the problem? What is the problem the church board has with those kids and putting them to work? They're just not baptized. Yeah, they're not. Yes, yeah. Sometimes we have that conflict. They're not. Still, they're not members of the church. You know, um, can they sing um, in the worship group? You know, they can be part of the choir. They can just those. Okay, things. so you're talking about changing the culture of that church board and the adults. Or how can we deal with that? How can we handle that? Maybe that's something that happens in other churches as well. I would. Think. I, I would know. go to the church board and talk to him about it. You know, Jesus, he puts people to work. I'll never forget, um, you know, uh, I can't remember the evangelist, but uh, he took a young person that he knew was struggling with smoking, and he took him on a, on a witnessing outreach, and the guy says, you know, I can't go, Pastor. I'm struggling. He said, I don't care. We, we need to share Jesus with someone here. And he took him to a house, and this man was struggling with smoking. And the long story short, he said, I'm going to give up smoking if you will. And, you know, Jesus meets us where we are. We grow in grace. You know, Jesus would take the loaves and a few fish from a little boy and feed all of the people. And, and, and we've got to take these young and old just like they are and, and let Jesus grow us. You know, they have talents and they have skills that can be used. Let's use what they have. And, and let's have that attitude like, we need you. That's great. We need you. Baptism will come. When, when they realize that Jesus died for them and when they understand baptism, they're going to they're gonna take that step. Look at how many took that step today when Pastor Dwight gave that call that were quite old. Uh, it's amazing what uh, you know Jesus can do in our lives. And so that church board needs to really think, oh, you know, if Jesus can save me, he can save anybody. And if he can use me, why can't he use anybody? Let me uh, just throw something in there behind that. And thank you so much. Part of, of maybe what you're struggling with is can you elect those people to church office? And the answer to that is no, but you can help allow them to assist you. So if you have some duty in the church, and you have to use some common sense. Uh, use some common sense. You can think of a thousand different examples. But say, you know... Uh, John, would you come and assist me with the Pathfinders? We're going to go on a camping trip, and I'd like to have you help X, Y, and Z with that, using that kind of an example. Um, and the church board shouldn't have problem with that. If they do, then Pastor Ken is right. We need to go and say, okay, look, this is what we're doing. We want to communicate to you what we're doing. We're not making them church officers, but we are getting them to assist us because we want to grow them. I think... Uh Part of it is also, you, the, this is, I think, where the stress is the value of spirit-filled leadership. You know, um, that type of wisdom can really only come from God. It's not, it's not human wisdom. We cannot decide, even ourselves, we might have 
personal ties to people. If I have my brother who's not Seventh-day Adventist coming, I want him to be baptized. Uh, I'm going to have a special interest in that, but I, I have to make sure that I'm being led by Jesus and I'm not going to have someone who clearly does not have a grasp on, on Adventist teaching giving the sermon, for example. You right. know? And so I think communicating with the church board, first of all, what your intents are is important. I think getting your pastor involved in it, I think, is also an important aspect. And then, and then uh, outlining what are the things that you can get them involved in. For example, a person does not, you don't have to tell a person, hey, Mark, I'm not going to let you preach this Sabbath because you're not Seventh-day Adventist. That's a bad, you, that's, you don't have to do that. But I can say, hey, why don't you come with me after church and we're going to go visit the local uh, you know, homeless shelter and we're going to give uh, food out to people and minister to their needs. So there's different ways of using people at different levels. That does not mean that you're discriminating against them. It just means that you're using the gift of discernment to know how to bring people along where they are in their Christian experience. Now, Jesus used anybody and everybody, but he didn't call everyone to do everything. He had some to be apostles, some teachers, and so in our Christian experience, he also uses us at different levels. And you're going to need really spiritual discernment to do that, and that only comes as you yourself are filled with the Spirit of God in understanding how to use people. Amen. Well said. That was really nice. Who else got the microphone? Hi. Um, I guess in church, uh, even with young adults and teens, um, we're, it's very difficult sometimes to get us to buy into the sacrifice sometimes. Um, you, you tell people that it's going to take hard work or you, know, you, you want them to invest in your church. And results are not always going to come quickly and it's not always going to look pretty at first. How do you, in a practical way, just get people to buy into being interested. You can pray about pray about it, but you see just lots of skills that they have, and they have a lot to say, but just to get them to want to be a part of it. My, my answer to that is that enthusiasm is catching. Let's say you think there's a need for a vacation Bible school. So you've got to recruit people to help you. But you've got to be enthusiastic. So if you're saying, look, we've got to have vacation Bible school, you just think of what we could, you know, we, we don't know what Jesus might do. If you just throw that enthusiasm, enthusiasm is catching. And people say, well, if you want me to help you, okay, I'll, I'll do it, you know. And they might even be reluctant at first. But I think it's enthusiastic recruitment. It starts with you. All right, who else has got uh, a microphone here? Right over here. Okay. Over, over this way. Way over there. Okay, yeah, no sorry. Problem. No problem. Uh, just a quick question. Uh, we were getting a lot of great information. We really appreciate it, but are there any resources that we can go home, oh, a book, a DVD, something, that we can go and look up to get, to get this re more resources? It's, uh, on leadership itself, on Christian leadership, I think the best uh, one is a book by Blackerby. And I'm trying to remember the uh, title of it right off the top of my head, but he has it right, and I have it. I have I have the concept that I don't have time to give you. But in order to be a Christian leader, you must first be a follower. So Blackerby's book on discipleship gets it right. There's lots of stuff out there on leadership, but you could take a lot of those principles and become a political leader. But we're looking at servant leadership. And we're looking at, first of all, being a good follower of Christ. It was Christ who said to Peter and to the disciples, 
follow me, and I will then make you fishers of men. Okay? I don't have the title, but I think the author, if you, get, if you look up Blackerby and leadership, you'll get it. You know, what's a really good resource is also studying the book of Nehemiah in the mission statement of GYC. There are a couple characterizations, and we aspire to have the integrity of Daniel, Daniel's ethical system, Mary's humility, Paul's passion for evangelism, evangelism and Jesus' love for humanity. But the key thing is for leadership is Nehemiah's leadership skills. From chapter 1, it's prayer life. Chapter 2, chapter 3, organization, persistence, opposition. It, it just goes to it goes into legacy. What happens when you're old and your, your organization doesn't follow you afterwards? It goes to success, failure. It's a handbook. Ellen White has a, has a, has a compilation of, of, of articles, Lessons in the Life of Nehemiah, that are also excellent. So just giving you, if you study the, the, the Bible study on that, spiritual powerful stuff, in addition to, to the resources that were mentioned. Let me, I, I just got it. Spiritual Leadership by Blackerby. Thank you. Thank you. Uh-huh. Yes. Thank you so much. Let me go back to this young lady's question just a little earlier. Uh, now I want to clearly articulate what I was illustrating to her. Every leader must have vision. If she wants a vacation Bible school, she's got to paint the vision. And her enthusiasm paints the vision. When Pastor Ken has something really he wants to do for youth leadership or he wants to do the Sawell, you know, he, he doesn't come up to me and say, well, you know, I just... Uh, he, he's always, I mean, you know, he's always prepared for us to work it over a little bit. He, that's part of my job and we all work together. But, but he, he's, he's enthusiastic about it. You know, think of what we could do. If we, I could just hear you do. You know, this is, that's because he's a leader. And what he's doing is he's painting the vision for me. He's wanting me to catch that vision. But the more enthusiasm he has, the more I become to believe that it can actually happen because he has the faith to get it done. Okay. Who else has it? Okay. <clears throat> what do you do when, um, if you're in a church that's bilingual and uh, the adults, the older adults, uh, speak a different language than the younger than the than the children, and so they, the 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 youth they don't understand the the main service. You know, they come and they come for just pretty much Bible study after church, but they, throughout the whole service they're just you know on their phones. They don't understand anything. But then when we speak to the adults about that, they say, oh, they should speak it because that's what their parents speak. You know, and and so what do you do with that in terms of like to nourish the young people during church? I, I don't have an answer, but we are struggling with it. It's talking the second generation of immigrant children, so to speak. And it's, it's a challenge in every language group, and we've just been going through some tremendous challenges in one or two of our churches in Michigan, for instance, over that very identical issue. I don't have a good answer. The hope is that the older folk will see that the language their children speak are the language of their playmates. That's just the way it is. Okay, let me... Uh, Scott, you're sp you should be up here giving advice instead of asking. And I I've been watching you standing there so patiently, and I said, I wonder what this guy is getting ready to lay on top of. <laughs> okay, we love Scott. He, we had the joy of watching him being ordained in Michigan. He's doing a wonderful job with life. Go ahead, Scott. One of the best days of my life. 
was that very kind. You spoke about servant leadership, and then you told us to think about what's better for the organization or the church as a whole. Practical steps that we can take to get our church members to stop focusing on me and start focusing on what is better for the church. There, an example, create a role teacher, kindergarten teacher, primary teacher, is only there because their child is there. How do we get somebody to be in that position because that is exactly what the church needs rather than obligation for my own child? I'm hoping there will be thousands going home from GYC that will do that. I'm serious. I'm hoping some come to our yeah, church. Yeah, amen. Uh, but that's why we need young people going in there and doing it. And um, we, we, need, we need to have a burning desire for that local church. We love that local church. Instead of looking at that local church, you know, this is not meeting my needs. This is not doing anything for me. I wish I was at PMC so I could hear Pastor Dwight preach. We didn't get it. When Jesus said to his disciples, they were out there alone sometimes, but they kept raising up churches. We've got to own those local churches. They, we've got to make them our churches. I don't mean own them in the wrong sense. We've got to throw our heart and soul into it. And I hope that at least many of you will go home and say, I'm going to be a blessing in my local church. I'm going to do it by the grace of God. Well, practical... Well, it, somebody's got to... They're not going to... Are you talking about the local church being inspired to that, or are you talking about the young person going in to make a difference? I'm talking about the local church. Yeah. Yeah, forget about changing them. You be the changer. If you, you be the guy that goes back in there and makes the difference, because you're probably not going to change. I can change me. I can't change Pastor Mitchell. But, but I'm but he, inspired by yeah, right. But my point is, I'm just. I'm, my point is, I I can't change those folk, but I can be changed, and I can become like Jesus made a promise. Here's the promise. That that he says you can become like rivers of water of life, and that's what we've been talking. So we're talking about connections, talking about love. By the way, the most strongest force in the universe is is unselfish love. It's stronger than anything in the universe, because that's what God is. And, and I think the only way we can change this local church is to go and practice that on those folk. I don't know how to fix it from the other way. If you ask me as a pastor how I'd fix it, well, I can. Oh well. <laughs> well, the first thing I'm going to do start is I'm going to inspire them that we got to win souls. I start with my elders, and I'm I'm it's it's those behind the scene talks I'm giving to those elders. And then I'm going out and I'm coaching my younger people and I'm, I'm beginning to get that spirit. And then every Sabbath I'm making a call and I'm telling them, look, if I don't make a call, you know, Jesus is not going to bring somebody in here unless I make it. In other words, you, you create an atmosphere of soul winning and outreach and it begins to change the entire church. But we're not talking about pastors here today. So, Yeah. I was, I was confused because I was going to actually give a, the pastor's perspective as well and I think from a young person's perspective, I don't know if this would really apply. Um, <clears throat> one of our church members came to us one time we, in, in our church, and he said, one of these days, if the church does not change, this is going to become a real estate agency. 
And uh, that really spoke to people, you know, it really spoke to them. And if you're a young person, you know, saying something like that might make you look like you don't know what you're talking about and you take a risk and that you might lose all your influence. But I would say if you ever had the opportunity to go and, and, and speak to your church from your heart, people will also take that into consideration. You might get somewhere with it. But what I would do is I would tell the church something like that. You know, hey, if every one of us continues to do things the way we... Now, we're a great church, but if every one of us continues going the way that we're going, if we're in this thing for ourselves only... When we leave, this thing's going to die, right? I mean, that's, you know, step number one, we've got to know this thing's going to die if we don't change something about it. Step number two, what can we do to move things forward? We studied the book of Acts. That revolutionized our church. Uh, the church started looking at what it can do through the power of the Spirit of God, and it started changing more than anything the mentality of people. And so that's what I would do. I would bring the church together, let them know where we are. Let's take a spiritual inventory of where our lives are. Why are we doing what we're doing? And then from that point on, get together at the next nominating committee and, 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 and go all out there, you know, and, and uh, begin to lay the burden on their heart at that point. That's how I would do it if I was a minister. Young person, it, it makes it a little bit challenging. I think you do, uh, you do what the Lord impresses you to do. You yourself... Uh, be the change you want to see in others, and, and pray that God uses you as an influence to those around you. Amen. Pastor Scott, you're a wonderful pastor. You know the answer to that question. And uh, if, if, they, Scott, if, if, we need, if, if they're not treating you good down there, let me know. We... Scott, I was just thinking about what I would do when I just came into the truth, when I came into the church, and what I would do from a GYC standpoint and to get involved. I don't know that I'd be able to go back and, and, and meet with a board or meet with... I mean, that's a good idea if, you, if you're able. But I, I would, first of all, there's some awesome principles that were taught here at GYC. How many of you went to the prayer room this, this time? How many of you spent your hour that we were asked to go into the prayer room? I did. It was, it's powerful. Prayer changes things. Amen. It gives ideas. And if I go home and I'm saying, there's no youth in my church, I'd get a couple of people that felt the same way that you could share your passion right. with. I'm really concerned about the youth. We don't have any youth. Or we have youth, but they don't come. Let's go and meet in their right. room. And, and, and every, every Sabbath, we're going to come early or in the week or whenever. You can do it at your home. But we're going to meet in their room and we're going to ask God to fill this room. Okay, let, me, let me add in here. Before he became our youth director, Michigan Carmen, he was pastoring. And I found out that he was calling his church. He's not talking about something he doesn't know about. He's got mud on his boots. He's calling his church to start praying at 4.30 in the morning. He'd be at the church to meet and they could come and go and pray because they had some real needs in that church. And I had the privilege. I found out about it and I stepped up there one morning and just sat with him and we prayed with people coming in and out. They were wanting to increase their church school. Their church school blew the doors off the place with enrollment because of answer to prayer and many more answers to prayer. There's a price to pay, but it's a wonderful price and the results are wonderful. I know I'm running out of time now. I'm feeling horrible here. I don't know if we can fudge a little bit or not, but let's, I guess we can fudge until they run us out. I don't know. Thank you for spending time. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really powerful because... God, He has our, the answers. 
I, I don't have the answer to go back. I'm not intelligent enough to go back. But God knows my heart. Am I sincere? When that, he was talking about that, that school was closing, we got down to four kids in our school, and we had a beautiful school. And I told the school board, I said, guys, if you close this school, I'm not going to be your pastor anymore. Because I think that churches that close their church school eventually become old folks' homes. And they die. And, and so I know that God could do it. My dad was a prayer warrior. And so we just, God said, Ken, where's your sacrifice? And so that's where the 430 came in. And God, pretty soon we had two teachers, we had two assistants. And that's not because of me. I didn't have an answer. I just prayed. Go back home, you guys. You know, if you, if you do the same thing, you're going to get the same results. Go back home and pray and ask God. Put him to the test. Claim promises. Say, this is your word. It will not come back unto me void. My church is dying and I'm dead I need resurrection. I need life. The morning devotions. How many of you have been to the morning services? Guys, if you're sleeping in, shame on you. You probably spent a bunch of money to get here. Shame on your lazy selves. Get up out of bed. If you stay up at night, if you eat late at night, you know, get up anyway. And pretty soon you're going to quit doing one. But don't quit getting up early. Those meetings in the morning have fed my soul. They fed my soul. And I know that came because she was praying the message to give us. And it made a difference in my life. So you praying is going to make a difference in your church. Otherwise, your God's dead. And He isn't dead. Amen. He's serving the wrong God. Amen. I, I was mistaken. We still have a few more minutes, so we're, we're good to keep going here. All right. Yes, um, I've been on nominated committees in large churches before, and I think the great need is to bring more people in for involvement. But every once in a while, you get someone who seems overeager and wants to accept more leadership than maybe is good for them uh, and is good for the church, perhaps. Is there a principle of moderation or some guidelines that we can apply in these cases that maybe help us to achieve a better outcome? Well, one of you guys want to give an answer to that? Justin? What we usually do is we coach uh, each of the electors, electees, elected, uh, with the job description found in the church manual. Uh, How many of you have read or read the church manual? It is the most fascinating read you'll ever have in your life. (laughs) It's true. I'm not being sarcastic. It's... it's, uh, I'm a church nerd, so you, you want to you, you read. There's a great description of those things, and then to mentor each, each of those positions, and then to tell them that, hey, we need for every person in the church to be faithful in this one position, according to how the job description is, and then to allow other positions, if, even if, they, if they're not doing their best, for allow them to make mistakes. We've had similar scenarios in our church, and, and allowing the... Uh, informing our elders of, of particular scenarios such as yours uh, and, and giving guidelines such as that really really prevented a lot of the uh, uh, over, over, overism of some of our, our members. I, I'd like to add just a little something. It's a very good point. Uh, 
if you know, there's some places where people they will overwork uh, the 20% to death. You have to you have to use common sense. We say we we have two different job lists. If you have a small church, there's certain essential jobs that we say you should fill. If you have a larger church, there's others that you can add to that. But a small church can't focus on everything or it gets nothing accomplished. Uh, when I pastored small churches, okay, look, we, we've got to grow. If we're going to grow, this is what we've got to do, and that's what we're going to focus on. I'm, I, if, if we don't give Bible studies and if we don't do evangelistic meetings, we're not going to reap. All Adventists come in through either Bible studies or evangelistic meetings. And if you're not doing that, you're not going to grow. It's just the way it is. And so I, I focus on that. Does that mean I, there's a lot of other stuff that doesn't get done? Yes, but we're doing really well with those things. And as we begin to grow, then we can add the other things. But you've got to keep spreading it out and spreading it out and placing burdens on other people. All right, I don't know who has the microphone. Wonderful missionary, thank you, from Bolivia. Thank Jeff, I, I, we ought to sit at your feet. You, no, you're no. pioneer missionary. Go ahead. You know, I... I uh... I have a question. I wish everybody was as blessed as I am to come from the Michigan Conference, but not everybody is. And uh, the question is, is uh, it, it revolves around, uh, Pastor Ted Wilson alluded to this in his sermon, about you know, going home and making a change at the grassroots in reform. Uh, you know, many of us uh, are, belong to churches that have strayed maybe from the path that God has destined for us in, in the standards, music, you know, uh, just a worship style. Many things, and, and, and we're, you know, what GYC teaches us and what we're learning here, how can we come and make changes in that, in that home circle with, in, the, in, the, in that local church as a young person? Because that was the kind of idea. Let's have a grassroots movement. Maybe the pastor may not agree with you. Maybe some of the church board. Can you give us some ideas of how we can make a difference? And I'm throwing out a, maybe a little bit harder question. It's, it's got some of those issues that come along with it, but maybe give some concepts and some thoughts along that. Thank you. All right, I think Israel is going to take that on. What I would do is I'd invite people to my house. Everyone in the church has a part to play, and uh, sometimes people try to play the part of the pastor, and that causes challenges because then the pastor is just putting out fires trying to keep everyone calm, and that goes against advancing the cause of God. But everyone has a home. I'd like to encourage people to have people come to their house. You, have, you come to my house for worship, or when you come to my house, we're going to have worship if you come at worship time. And you, we're going to sing some songs and we're going to have worship a certain way. That will impact the way people view those things. You know, when you come to my house, we're going to sing, worship, uh, we're going to sing from the hymnal. It doesn't mean we're not singing from anything else. We have songs for kids. Uh, our kids, if you come on Friday, you're going to hear my sons preach. You're not going to hear me give the Bible study. And that's what you're going to get from my home. My, yeah, my son is five years old. Well, you're going to hear Ed be deadering, you know, because he tells the Bible story by memory, but that's all he does. And that in itself is my way of, of impacting the people in my church. They're coming to my home. They're seeing the way I live. And by the grace of God, hopefully that's something that takes place whether they're there or not. And that's something that every single church member has. Every single church member has a place where they live, a place where they can bring people to them, and they can minister to them by example. If, you have, if you're a Sabbath school teacher, you use that medium to try to bring revival and reformation. If you're uh, leading out in song service, uh, like Pastor Ken was, and that's your avenue 
just uh, don't have a person standing next to you. But you know, you have different avenues in which you can, in, in which you can exercise what God has placed in your heart. And I would just say, use those avenues and try not to go beyond those avenues. Don't try to do the job. If you're a Sabbath school teacher, don't try to do the job. Don't try to tell Pastor Kate, this is how you should do song service. This is how you should pray. This is how you should just do your job. And as you do your job, you'll see how it begins to impact the people around you. Maybe I'll add something to that. We do need reformers in our local churches. There's been drifts, huge drifts. We have church leaders who do not uphold the church manual and its principles in music. For instance, if you read the church manual, the church has to have basic principles of music. And I know music's a hot topic, but I do not believe that we're without light on that particular thing. And I know there's some gray areas, but um, I really appreciate what uh, Israel has said. I think it's a good suggestion. But the best way to affect reform is little by little piece by piece, build the influence. And uh, not for control, but so that people can open-mindedly hear the, the, the will of God. And um, sometimes we go in and try to be reformers and we use a ball bat, or we just stick our head in the sand and do nothing. And there's a better way in between there. But I think it comes back to Ken's point. I'd pray a lot. I'd ask God for wisdom. Because I'm telling you, I don't think this panel could just give you wisdom off the top of our heads. All right, I keep watching. This young lady keeps standing here without a microphone. I hope somebody's going to give her one. Okay, let's go here, and then we'll go over here, and then we'll come back to you. Is that fair enough? Okay, I don't know if I got you in the right order or not, but we'll do our best. The question I had early on, Pastor Kim mentioned a situation where you received a lot of mentorship from your church. Um, How would you deal with a situation where you have a pastor who is perhaps needing mentorship, but doesn't recognize the need for it. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to decide how to word the rest of the question. But a situation where he's maybe not taking hold of what he needs to take hold of, where there's duties that are slipping between the cracks. Um, at what point should, say, a board of elders take that situation higher above the pastor? after they've already addressed it with the pastor directly? I You know, if somebody calls us and said, we got a problem with our pastor, the first thing we ask them is, have you talked to your pastor about this? It's the golden rule again. If I'm the pastor, ask yourself, if you were the pastor of that church, how would you want to be treated? And if you will apply that, usually you'll work out that 99% of the time. I think some of the other principles we've talked get close to your pastor. Sometimes being a pastor is a lonely job. Some pastors come in, they're insecure. Some are really secure. Uh, they're, they're different. But they, they love the Lord or they wouldn't be there. And make them your friend. Let them know you really love them and you care about them. You know, you can tell me a lot of things I need to change if I know you love me. But if I know you're out to get me, I've already got my shield up. That's probably as good as I can do with that. All right. Who else has Okay, right over here. Who has the microphone? Right here. You answer, I had like five questions and you've answered all of them. But... Uh, 
I'm the Adventist director at my church. It's been the first six months, and I kind of dug my own grave. Um, I, with help, we started Bible studies. We call it YSDA, Learn Your Fundamental Beliefs and Learn How to Give Them. So it's both for new people and, and, and youth. Uh, we started a week of prayer. So it was literal week of prayer. We prayed an hour. Uh, we did door-to-door for about three months, but then eventually it was just me in the car with material. And uh, my problem right now is I'll be leaving in six months. So I want to know some simple examples where you've had situations like that or tips. And now I do have a youth pastor, and we do have a senior uh, pastor, but there's, I guess there's not as much time on everyone's hands. So how do you kind of walk away and, and have the, the programs you started continue? Otherwise, are you, are you a pastor? A no, I'm a, a layperson. Okay. I, I, it's very hard to answer that question because I'm not standing there you always should be training somebody to kind of step in to take over when you leave. But you've only got about six months to do that. Talk to us afterwards. Maybe we can give you some help. All right, let's go to this uh, young lady. Um, I, my husband's a pastor in a very large district with four churches, and um, all of our churches are very small. And the biggest issue we face is non attending members that are related to attending members mm-hmm. and um, they say if my sister is going to be in heaven I don't want to be there mm-hmm. how do you how do you <laughs> touch on, on, on issues like this the churches, churches are very small but how do you touch on issues like this when you, you visited everybody you invite them to visit you they don't want to visit you how do you go further from there if that makes sense well first of all I want to say God bless pastors uh, wise, we, we praise the Lord for you. And, uh, you know, my wife followed me all over the country, and we just praise the Lord for your dedication, and you don't get a paycheck either, but you do it because you love the Lord. Um, I don't have a ready answer, except uh, maybe you've got one, and I keep referring to Ken. I tell you, when everything else fails, so to speak, it's the Lord's got to come in and change that sister's heart. That's what's got to have to happen. Go ahead. There needs to be a revival. And the only thing that can bring revival is Jesus. If he's lifted up, he will draw all men to him. And we pray for the Holy Spirit. There needs to be revival. And my dad's a pastor, and he's gone into, he's had four district churches, and he's gone into those things. And so as a kid, I learned about it and, you know, applied a lot of those principles. You know, so many times we, you know, we get in there and we just want to fix things. And, I can't fix anybody. I can't change anybody. I can't change them. But Jesus can. Amen. And, and so, you know, preach Christ-centered servants, uh, sermons. Demonstrate love. You know, what do we do? Um, heat coals of fire on our enemy. What does that mean? Um, it changes things. Jesus' methods changes things. It's true. And before long, God brings in repentance when he's lifted up. He brings in desire. He brings in change. And pretty soon I found people that you know, were at odds when Jesus uh, 
is in their lives and they die, pretty soon they're like, what are, what are we fighting about? Yeah. You know, and, and the upper room experience is what we need in some of our churches. We've got to lift up Christ every day, every Amen. moment. Amen. Well, i got people standing, and I'm out of time. I'm feeling terrible, but I'm going to take you because you've been staying there so long, and then you, you're Thank going to be you our so last much. lady. Thank you. Um, my last question is, is pretty simple. Um, back at home, I'm, I'm a youth director in my church, and um, myself and my youth, we had many ideas on how to like, have like, activities and make the kids involved and have them participate and everything, but one of the hindrances that we have is that the parents, we have like lack of support from the parents. And um, um, we had instances where we want to fellowship, have potluck or um, socials, and most of the times they just come drop their kids off and leave. Or when I come around and ask, like, what can you bring for the potluck, they run away and they don't want to <laughs> be involved. So um, most of the kids, they, they're in lack of small groups or fellowship because the parents, they shelter their kids and, and do, they don't let them go outside and, and get involved with the youth. So do you have any practical ideas or suggestions how to encourage the Let parents? Let me see if I hear you correctly. What you're saying is that you've got an active group of young people, but the parents are not getting involved with them. Is that what you're saying? Right, or they're not letting them be involved with fellowship outside of the church. Okay, what kind of fellowship outside the church? Fellowship as in um, socials, well, inside the church. What I mean outside the church is not in church service, but outside, you know, just going out to eat or having small groups, Bible studies outside of the church. Have you ever sat down and talked to parents and asked them why there's a reluctance for that? Some, yes. What kind of answers do you get? They just said, not right now, and maybe later, maybe next time. No, I meant like asking, you know, we need uh, Johnny and Mary to be at this social, but they're they're saying that they can't come because mom and dad aren't uh, are concerned about it. it. Talk to me, mom and dad. Help me to understand, is there something we can do better here, or is there fear? Usually there's fears involved. What fears do you have? And then if you find out what the fears are, then you can try to say, well, then what would it take to relieve those fears? And then you say, you know, if you would be there and help me out that, I think that could handle that fear. You go from there. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, uh, Pastor Ken, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Can I squeeze that lady in? Yeah, I'm a softie, so go ahead. Um, I'm not really a good speaker. I'm even embarrassed to speak, but I'm just frustrated because uh, this is our sixth year to come to GYC. And by the way, my husband is a pastor, and I really envy the Michigan Conference that the pastors as well as the administrators are very seasoned GYC leaders. But this is not true to other conferences. And in fact, I'd like to be honest with you that many times I, I try to tell my husband, why are you so eager to recruit young people to GYC rather than to the local conference youth meetings? And the, his usual reason is because 
the GYC values are, you know, kind of heavenly. I think everybody agrees who comes. My frustration is some delegates, like after they have attended GYC, are so enthusiastic going back, but they are received with cold shoulders by the majority of the church. And it's really frustrating for me to kind of hear like, these young people who went to GYC are like weird. When they start like before they give sermon. I mean, they're contaminated with GYC principles that we call the army of young people to finish the work. But soon, after so many rejection and not organized empowerment, they just naturally become like, become like, I don't know, how do you call that, lazy or dies out. So my question is, oh, okay, i give you an example. One GYC revived lady going back to the local church initiated VBS. And so we procured VBS material and only to find out that the VBS material is coming from a Protestant church. And what can you imagine? The values that are injected to the youth, the children. Of course, like the music in itself, the values. So one concern that I, I would like to suggest to GYC leaders with the growing recognition by our general church leadership to GYC, why can't we collaborate? Like, for example, with Elder Gallimore saying that, look into the local needs of your church. But if you go to Cradle Roll, what are the materials that they are using? We cannot go other source but go to our general conference. Why can't we help collaborate with our general conference especially now that they, they support the GYC, to look into the materials that we inject to our young people from the cradle roll to the, young, uh, to the early teens, to the young adults. That's my suggestion that why don't we synchronize? Why, why do we why do persist on have separate values? Like if we have youth that are trained by the GYC, and we have youth trained by the conference, they clash. They clash in those values that they assimilate. And what can we imagine to be the kind of youth growing together in the local church? Okay, that's one. Another is uh, with 10 years GYC, of course, we probably already have. Sister, I just want to remind you just to kind of maybe perhaps. Uh, get, get to the, uh, the main question. We have people here on a time screen. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, this last thing. Because I just, I'm longing that if we consider our youth who went to GYC as army, then there should be like, it should, it should be like an enlisted army that are being monitored, followed up. Because, you know, to have a successful program, it has to be planned, it has to be implemented and evaluated. Yeah. So if these people who went to GYC will be kind of not left alone by themselves when they go back, that if they still feel that they belong. 
let me let me interject here, and I, I think I've got the drift of okay, what you're sorry, saying. Okay, sorry, no, you're fine, and and I appreciate uh, I appreciate it. Part of it I probably don't have an easy answer to, um, and except to say that if you've got materials that don't line up with the principles in the church manual, tweak them so they do. If you're being opposed because you went to GYC and you come home excited, then start doing the tasks that nobody else wants to do. And you'll build influence. If you take the principles that we gave you to start with, your influence will build no matter how much. It's hard to resist the unselfish love of God. And uh, you'll, you, you'll find ways to do it, but you have to be patient and you have to exhibit a great deal of kindness and then watch God open doors. See me afterwards if we can help any more. You've been very good. There's an old saying that says you can go as long as you can hold them. And I think we've come to that point. Sorry, I'm sorry. And uh, she's been standing here to ask. Have you been wanting yes. to ask a question? Can you hang on and ask us right afterwards? And we'll take it right there rather than do it right now. Okay. She has a comment about something that worked in her church. Can you stay long enough to hear her comment? Can you make it short? And and we really will make you the last uh, thing. Okay. Thank you for being patient. Um, there's a question my sister asked here. She's not here right now. Um, about how to make people um, to be enthusiastic about. Uh, getting involved and helping out in the church. So um, what I did, I'm, I'm a children ministry director. <laughs> thank you. Oh, thank you. How nice. And um, what, what, I, what we did is we started to appreciate volunteers. Anybody who walked through the doors to help out in anything, be it sit down with a child or... Um, help feed a little baby, whatever it is they did, we said thank you, and we made a big deal out of it. We actually were like, we can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. And something else that really helped us is um, to gain that interest in the lives of every single volunteer in your ministry. Call them, find out how they're doing. You know, if you can, visit them. And take care of their physical needs. Some of these um, volunteers probably have problems in their homes. If there's any way you can help them, that really helps them to feel like they are needed and it helps them to feel like they are at home. So that's just the two things I wanted to suggest. Thank you. Thank you so much. Now, let's, uh, we're going to have the closing prayer, but let's see if you can uh, remember this. Leadership is nothing less and nothing let's say it again leadership is nothing and nothing Pastor Ken you're going to have our closing prayer let's have everybody stand loving Father in heaven we just want to thank you so much for your love for us Thank you, Jesus, for interceding for us in the most holy place right now. Lord, we're at the end of Sabbath. And, Lord, we want to have a love for you greater 
than we had this week, next week, for when Sabbath comes as our Creator and our Maker. Lord, give us a hate for those things in the world that would keep us away from you and a love for this for people. Lord, I just want to ask that you would help us to be filled with your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for what you do in our lives. You convict us. You, you, you guide us. You give us direction. And Lord, a lot of these questions that were asked, we're not able to answer them. Um, but you are. And Lord, I, I just want to thank you too that church isn't one day a week. We're your church. We're the bride. And Lord, give us a love for souls at our work. Give us uh, a mission at where our schools are, wherever we are throughout the week, whether it's at a grocery store or a gas station. Lord, give us opportunities that can, uh, can grow us in the gospel. Lord, I pray if there's someone here that has never led a soul to you, that that would be their first mission, that they would go home and that they would learn how to give a Bible study, learn how to share and lead someone to Christ. Lord, thank you for angels that are with us. Dismiss us with your blessing. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.